Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide. Welcome to episode eight of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. Today, Travis and I discuss Chaturanga Dandasana, or yoga's push-up-like asana, which plays an integral role in the classic vinyasa sequence that most yogis are quite familiar with. We cover a lot of ground in this episode regarding Chaturanga, including the anatomy and biomechanics of Chaturanga, the differences between Chaturanga and a typical push-up you'd find in the fitness world. Why Chaturanga is actually a much more difficult pose than many people realize, potential injury mechanisms in Chaturanga, and possibly most intriguingly, the many alignment arguments about Chaturanga that abound in the yoga world, including things like, should the elbows be tucked into the sides or not? Should we only lower halfway down or not? Should we shift forward onto the toes before we lower down or not? What should the shoulder blades be doing in Chaturanga? We also cover a lot more than just that, including what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have to do with Chaturanga, and so much more. If you happen to be a member on my website, JennyRollings.com, just know that you can also actually watch the video version of this podcast as a bonus feature of your membership. So if you prefer to listen via audio, that's great, and you can just listen right here. But if you'd like to actually see Travis and I talk face-to-face as we have this conversation, feel free to do so over on my website. If you enjoy this episode, we'd hugely appreciate your support in subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast wherever you're listening to it. And now without further ado, here's our episode. Welcome to episode eight. In today's episode, we're going to be talking all about Chaturanga. And of course, Chaturanga is a very common pose in yoga classes. And there are also a lot of opinions and arguments surrounding (laughs) this pose. So we are going to try to, as succinctly as possible, although we, we tend to go on and on sometimes, but as succinctly as possible, talk about Chaturanga and the issues and questions surrounding it. So... First off, Jenny, what um, what is Chaturanga? Can you tell us what Chaturanga is? Yes. I think that most of our listeners who are yogis will automatically know what Chaturanga is because it is such an ubiquitous pose uh, in the yoga world. But people who may be listening who, who aren't yogis, maybe just general fitness enthusiasts or movers, they might not know what Chaturanga is. So just to kind of lay that foundation, Chaturanga is... It's basically like the yoga world's, I'm kind of just in a simplistic terms, it's like the yoga world's push-up, basically. And just what everybody knows what a push-up is, you start like in a plank position, and then you lower down toward the floor. So, and then in in the fitness world, in the push-up, you would then push back up, 
But in the yoga world, the way that chaturanga is generally practiced is you start in plank, you lower down roughly halfway, and then you transition into a uh, into a back bend, which might be upward facing dog, or you might lower all the way down to the floor and then transition into cobra pose, which is a, another back bend variation. Is there a uh, like a more common way of doing it? So I I never knew that you were supposed to stop at ninety. I always just lowered all the way down. But is it like is either way technically correct or? Is it is technically correct? You should stop at ninety. That's a that is a good question. Well, technically, if you look at like the photos of chaturanga in say a yoga book, they will show it just halfway down, and they'll call that chaturanga at mm-hmm. that like ninety degree elbow angle. So like that. I mean, in yoga, we often just take a shot of like the asana, like one moment, and say that's the pose. But of course, there's movement involved too. So, so I mean, chaturanga is also a transition. It's also like that whole transition from plank then uh, through chaturanga into the into the back bend. So it just kind of depends. If you're transitioning into cobra pose, that's a pose where, you're, where your belly is down on the ground. So if you're going to take that back bend, then people do tend to lower all the way to the ground, which is totally like normal and correct. But if you're transitioning into upward facing dog, your belly and your hips, they never touch the ground in up dog. So mm-hmm. in that case, generally what's What's like classically done is you just lower about halfway down. You never touch the floor with like your belly and you just straighten your arms and lift your chest right into up and, dog. And technically up dog is the pose in the vinyasa, right? Well. Or it, it can be either. It can be either. They're in, at least at least in my interpretation and my understanding. They're, you, I would say you're right that chaturanga and up dog is the most classic it's like the one we tend to see, and it's what people mostly refer to when they're talking about, quote, the vinyasa. I didn't mention earlier that chaturanga is like an integral part of this kind of three, three-step three sequence called the vinyasa that is practiced in many forms of yoga very often, like frequently all throughout the practice. Um, so, yeah. Wait, what was your question again? I kind of got off. Uh, I got distracted. Yeah, so just whether the... Updog or oh, right. Cobra were the was like the if Updog was the correct vinyasa or something, mm-hmm. and I would say no. Lowering all the way to your belly and then just lifting the chest into Cobra is is equally a vinyasa. It's just kind of two different variations, but but the Updog variation is probably just the the more the one that people tend to think of more. I think some people think of it as stronger too. I think some people would call the just go to half, halfway down and then lift your chest into up dog, they might think of that as like the more, quote, advanced vinyasa variation. Interesting. Although it's not necessarily, but... I th- I, yeah, they're kind of harder in different ways, right? Because yeah. lowering halfway down and, and stopping, like you have to have the strength to stop at that 90-degree mm-hmm. position, which is kind of the hardest part of the that pose, I would say, versus like, oh, okay, I can just lower all the way down. I don't need to have the strength to control that mid mm-hmm. position but if you lower down slowly all the way through that full range like from plank all the way down and depending on your strength level for someone who's super strong that might not be that challenging but for many people lowering all the way down to the floor with control would be hard i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah it kind of depends right so so we've now we've described chaturanga how and it's the yoga world's push-up but how mm-hmm. is it different it's it's mm-hmm. clearly very similar to the push-up, but how is it different? Yeah, so I would say one of the main, I mean, there are a few things, but one of the main things is in a fitness setting when people do push-ups, 
they lower down and then they lift straight back up. So it's like they start in a plank position, they hold their whole body in plank, and then they just bend at the elbows and lower down. Then they lift back up, back up to plank. So basically in um, muscle contraction terms, that would be you do the lower down and the lift back up. So you do the eccentric phase, which is that lower, and then the concentric phase, which is the lift back up. So that's like the fitness um, world's the push up. But in the yoga world, generally we're only doing the lower down, uh, the from plank lowering down into chaturanga. And then if we were to hold it for a while, as you mentioned, then we'd be holding it there. That would be isometric. But in reality, the way most people do chaturanga, they don't. We don't tend to hold there. I mean, occasionally a teacher might cue that and make the whole class hold, and it would be really hard. But mm-hmm. generally, people just dip into chaturanga and they flow right right on through. They don't usually tend to hold. So in the yoga world, we generally just just visit chaturanga on that lowering down because the next pose after that would be the back bend, would be cobra or up dog. So I feel like, do you think that's kind of a, a significant distinction between the two? Yeah, for sure. They're not having that concentric phase is totally, totally different in terms of the, mm-hmm. the opportunity to develop strength through exactly. that range of motion with the, like only having the one half of the types of contractions, right? Yeah. So it's like only one half of that full phase, but then we do it really frequently. Well, I guess in the, in a gym setting, you might do like 10 pushups in a row and do that three times. So that's also frequent. In, in yeah, a but you could do way. 30 vinyasas mm-hmm. over the course of a hour long practice, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Especially like in vinyasa type practices and in Ashtanga influence type <laughs> practices. One time I counted up the number of vinyasas in a typical Ashtanga, like if you were to do the primary series. Yeah. And I think it was like 50 or more. No way. Yeah. Which is, a, I mean, that's a lot. Other classes, it's far, like that's like, a, I'd say that's the high end. If you look at like the range of the amount of chaturangas or vinyasas in a typical class. But yeah, like 50 in the primary that's series a of ton. Ashtanga. I know. <laughs> I did. I I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, if you add it all up, I won't. We won't do it right now, but maybe we can. <laughs> we can do it off um, off audio, and then I can show you. But yeah, it's a lot. So so, so oh, you're yeah, you're doing. You could be doing up to fifty of those. So you want to make sure that you're pretty good at them, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And maybe yeah, getting the benefits out of them that we that we might want to be. Yeah, and if you're if you're not so good at them and still have to do fifty of them. Mm-hmm. I don't that's even so know. <laughs> I don't even know too. And that's kind of, I think, part of what we're gonna what we're gonna address today with yeah, like some of these sure. questions and, sure. and issues surrounding chaturanga. So, so either way, whether you're doing the concentric phase in a fitness setting where you're doing the push up, or you're doing just the eccentric in the chaturanga, you're still working mm-hmm. the muscles of your upper body, specifically your pectoral muscles. That, that's your, like the chest muscles. Yep, your deltoids, your shoulders, and your triceps, triceps your elbow extensors, right? Yeah, the back of the upper arms, yeah. Yeah, those are like the main muscles targeted, right? And then, yeah, and you're lowering down, so it's kind of like, yeah, you're, it's like wait, you're working uh, shoulder flexion, even mm-hmm. though like you're, you're lowering into extension, but you're resisting extension, so you're working your shoulder yeah. flexors. Well, in in the yoga version, you're working shoulder flexors in yeah. potentially the a more fitness context where the elbows are not all the way in. It's more horizontal mm. uh, adduction concentrically. Oh, because the yeah. So actually, can I'm glad you brought that up because you asked what what what, what some of the differences oh, yeah. were between. So yeah. this is another important difference, right? Will you tell us about this difference? 
<laughs> yeah, sure. So in, and I didn't know this, I mean, maybe I sort of knew this when I was first doing yoga, um, but I didn't know it was like such a thing. So in Chaturanga, your elbows are in, they are mm-hmm. tucked like, by your Like sides. touching your rib cage or really close to that. Yeah. So uh, you're in full shoulder adduction. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, elbows and, hugged, in, hugged in. Yeah. And so I kind of, I kind of, I guess, saw people do it like that, but I never knew like, oh, that's, this is exactly how you have to do it. Because in a fitness setting, you can have your elbows out if Mm -hmm. you want. So, so like a classic pushup would either be elbows, maybe all the way flared, like maybe not into full 90 degrees of abduction, um, Mm -hmm. but maybe not that far from it. And, mm-hmm. um, and you could be anywhere between there. So maybe like, uh, so that would be like a T shape if you were looking from above, maybe mm-hmm. like the compromise between the two shapes we're describing would be more of an arrow with your mm-hmm. elbows, in, uh, in at a 45, 45. degree angle or your, your humerus, your upper arm relative to your torso. Um, and then we would say, uh, a, and like, a maybe we would call it a close grip pushup or a tricep pushup right. would be the, the way that we do it in yoga. But a pushup by itself doesn't necessarily mean elbow or it likely doesn't mean that elbows are in. You would have to qualify, Oh, you're doing a, a tricep pushup or uh, a close grip pushup for it to mean what we think of as chaturanga. Exactly. And, exactly. The, and the difference is the muscular recruitment where when your elbows are tucked, it shifts more of the stimulus to the triceps. Uh, and if the elbows are flared a little bit, then you're getting more work through the chest muscles. Right. So it's like, Because yeah. you're getting a greater stretch through the, the front of the chest. Whereas when you keep the elbows in tight, uh, the pecs just aren't in a really good position to mm-hmm. perform that movement at the shoulder. And so it, shifts the emphasis to the triceps yeah so would you say that and the delts and the shoulders right the elbows in triceps and shoulders shoulders, yep and then elbows out still shoulders and triceps but much more pecs yeah that's what i was going to ask you is like uh even though there's kind of this whole spectrum like elbows could go all the way out they could be part way out or they could be all the way in in all (laughs) of those variations all three of those those general muscles we talked about they're all working but it's just like different proportions in each of those variations Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us which of those, which of those say, say we call them three variations. So like elbows all the way out, elbows part way out, which is the arrow and mm-hmm. elbows all the way in, uh, which, which is typically the most challenging variation, like the hardest to do. <laughs> the probably the elbows all the way in is the mm-hmm. most challenging uh, because the pectoral muscles, the chest muscles are the biggest muscles of those three mm-hmm. chest, shoulders, and triceps. Right. And the pecs, therefore, are the strongest or have the most uh, potential for strength production so or force production. So having the elbows flared out makes the push-up easier mm-hmm. um, or, or at least having the them at the 45-degree angle. So maybe all the way out is also, well... No, I I think I'll go out and say that all the way out is probably the easiest. Um, You told me that once for you, yeah. But maybe having them halfway in is a a, a, like nice compromise. So especially, (laughs) so I I think we experimented with this with you, where you were so accustomed to doing your chaturanga Mm. or push up with your elbows in 
mm-hmm. you had built a ton of strength there, but when you flared your elbows out, it wasn't necessarily it was harder for me. Yeah. So it, it, if you're coming, I wasn't into adapted it, to it. Right. If you're coming to it from, and, and maybe, well, just biomechanically elbows out <laughs> should be easier. Um, but right. it does depend on what you've done before. So if you've always done elbows out, of course, elbows out is going to be easier for you. Um, if you've always done elbows in, elbows in might actually be easier for you, but that's technically you're overcoming the biomechanics of the situation, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. that elbows out should be biomechanically advantageous. Right, right. Because they recruit the larger muscles and those just inherently are going to be able to move move more around. Yeah, so like if you, in, a, in say a personal training context, had a client and you were teaching them push-ups for like the first time, kind of keeping in mind that in yoga classes, a lot of people come to yoga and this is the first time they've done a lot of this upper body weight bearing and, and working too. So mm-hmm. just kind of similar that way. But if you were teaching a personal training client push-ups for the first time, Maybe I know there are a lot of regressions that we might get to those a little bit later, but let's just talk about just elbow position as far as close in or out. Like how would you teach them when they're new? I would teach them halfway in between that mm -hmm. compromise between teach them the, yeah, the arrow. arrow. (laughs) Right. Right. I think you get the best of both worlds that way because I'm not going to say that elbows fully flared out shoulders in that T is dangerous, Mm -hmm. but it, tends to be if the push-up is going to cause a problem that would be the position where it does like oh mm-hmm. front of the shoulder hurts with the elbow all the way flared out well try it with the elbow in at 90 uh, in at 45 in the arrow shape and sometimes that can alleviate that so mm-hmm. it's if if you just you want to play it super safe with the beginner then all right let's take that halfway in between Right. Uh, but you probably wouldn't teach a new person a push-up with their elbows in because that's hard. Heck that's like a no. progression, right? <laughs> right. And that's I want to how- put them in the position that's going to they're going to be strongest in so they experience success with it. Exactly. Um, and so making the movement harder uh, by mm-hmm. saying, oh, you have to keep your elbows all the way in, uh, that is silly to me. I totally But I, I know agree. that that is... That's the norm in yoga. Yeah. That's how all yoga students are. I mean, I'm like painting with a broad brushstroke, but in general, students come to a yoga class and that's how they're taught to do chaturanga is with the elbows in. Yet so many people are pretty weak in their upper, like unless they've really loaded it and worked and maybe done strength training. But think of all the people who come to yoga uh, off of their desk job for years and years. And then this is like maybe the first time they've actually been uh, bearing load with their upper body in a significant way. And then they're just thrown into everybody elbows in. And that'll be like the cue. It'll be like elbows should graze the sides, your sides as you lower down, like things like that. It just seems a little like cart before the horse or or backwards in terms of progressions to me. I agree. Yeah. I think yeah. we should throw it out. <laughs> yeah. And well, every time. So why, why is that? Why, why is the elbows in emphasized? Mm-hmm. I think that one reason is simply just, that's the way it's pictured in the yoga books. And that's the way that we're taught in the yoga world. This is the pose. And there are all these aesthetic ideals. Because that get it layered looks nice. On. Yeah, I guess it does look nice. I guess. <laughs> just elbows in yeah it's a little more like it's i guess more straight lines or something Uh, another thing i i don't know if you've heard this but i've certainly heard in the yoga world many claims that when you let if you let the elbows track out that's that's more injurious for the shoulders 
This is what I, this is what people say. All this is like why they say to hug in, or at least my experience is like it's safer for the shoulders. I don't buy it. I uh, like only a, up to an extent. If yeah, like I said, if you are going all the way out to ninety degrees, then mm-hmm. I have into the encountered teeth. yeah encountered people for whom that position is provocative. But just letting the elbows go out a little, or even up to forty five or sixty degrees, like. Those mm-hmm. are all, all that good seems... positions to me, yeah. Right. And if you, yeah, if you just kind of think about everyday life, if you're like pushing something with your arms and you're not really thinking about it, like what what angle, where are your elbows in, in relation? You know, if right. If like... you go, if you're going to go uh, pick a fight with the school bully, you're not going <laughs> to hug your elbows <laughs> nice in analogy. to push the person, right? You're going to... Right, you wouldn't... Like, that would be so, like, this layering on this weird ideal, like, hug in and push forward. I mean, naturally, it seems like most people would have their elbows out of it, right? For sure. Because naturally, so, you're stronger there. So, because it looks nice, that's why. Do that's... you know that uh, quite often, if I put up, like, on social media, like, a video of me doing chaturanga from the front so like you're seeing me from the front and you can re- the elbow angle is really visible so I, I generally if i'm doing chaturanga these days in yoga i'll do it with my elbows at about 45 degrees it just feels better to my body and I, i'm stronger there but i will regularly get uh, multiple people write writing in response and saying like that's either they'll say that's incorrect or like that's why amazing. are you doing it that way that's not how that's not chaturanga supposed to be elbows in and then i always explain like it's actually more accessible to let the elbows go out and you know, maybe we can broaden our minds around these alignment ideas. Wow. Well, on the bright side, it's a good opportunity to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. On the not so bright side, that's like kind of rude of people. <laughs> yeah. Right. Some sometimes they do it in, in a bit of a sometimes they're just genuinely inquisitive, like, I don't understand why you're doing that way, but sometimes they're just like, That's not how you do You're wrong. Shut up. Yeah, right. You're doing it wrong. So yeah, well Man. I think I think hopefully we're going to uh, I just watched The Matrix, the fourth one. So the, the they say free your mind of this mm-hmm. <laughs> notion of right and wrong, right? Yes. Oh, I love that. I feel like it's a, a theme underwriting a lot of what we talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Free your, yeah, exactly. Stop, stop sliding into Jenny's DMs and telling her that she's <laughs> that her are wrong. Just a quick moment to interject and to thank you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. We've been bringing a lot of focus to Chaturanga in this episode because Chaturanga is one of the most common poses we find in yoga classes, especially vinyasa flow styles of yoga. And believe it or not, to do a truly skillful and controlled Chaturanga just once, let alone up to 50 times in a yoga practice, is a very tall order for many yogis. A big reason for this is simply a lack of strength, upper body and core strength. And it can be really tough to build that strength in a smart and progressive way within a yoga practice itself, which is one reason that Travis and I are such big advocates of strength training for yogis. You can build strength to support your chaturanga and the whole rest of your yoga practice and also your whole life in general with us in our Strength for Yoga remote group training program. It's a monthly strength program that also comes with unlimited access to my full yoga class library. Use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in our program. You can learn more and sign up on my website, jennyrellings.com, and the link is in the show notes. And now, back to our episode. 
Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. And stop, stop sliding into Jenny's DMs and telling her that she's <laughs> that her are wrong. That's really funny. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny you said that um, when I first started doing push-ups with the elbows out, that that was harder because I was so used to elbows in. But now that I've done enough strength training and shifted, it's actually easier now for me with elbows out. Like in our strength for yoga program, sometimes we program like traditional push-ups, which is elbows out. And sometimes we'll program, quote, tricep push-ups with elbows in and I can always do less of the tricep push-ups than the Hot elbows dog. out. Yeah, nice. right. I'm stronger with the elbows out. There so I think go. I've become more like a normal person in relation to chaturanga. Only uh, in relation to chaturanga though. You're, yeah, you're, only there. You're that's still the... kind of an oddball otherwise. <laughs> exactly. That's the only thing that's only thing that's changed. Uh, so I think that's, that's a really good point to bring up about this other difference, uh, between like a push up in the fitness world and, um, chaturanga in the yoga world. Another reason that both chaturanga and push ups are helpful is that they develop, uh, pushing strength, right? Because Mm -hmm. you are pushing the floor away, you're pushing through your arms and your shoulders and, that's called pushing strength whenever you're pushing your body away from something or pushing something like, say, a weight away from you, like in a bench press or something. Uh, so so chatter, would you say chaturanga and push-ups in general are good for developing pushing strength? Yeah, they're like, if the, you do them. they're like the quintessential uh, exercise for that, especially from a body weight context. Right, right. The quintessential. Exactly. Yeah. And the, like yeah. ha- handstand is a, another one, although that. Because it, it's more of a static pose, unless you're doing handstand push-ups, mm, which I don't think many people are. But, <laughs> really but that, that, that you, would, you that would be another example. I could. We have videos of you doing them. It's crazy. it's true. It's true. <laughs> um, but also, down dog is another kind of similar to handstand, where it's it's a pushing type, mm-hmm. like movement. you're pushing the floor away. But in yeah, those positions, the but, arms are overhead, so you might right. call that vertical pushing. Yep. Whereas the push-up or chaturanga is a horizontal push right so it's good for developing that type of strength yeah Um, and core strength too because it's basically you are maintaining plank from the shoulder down uh Mm -hmm. while moving the arms exactly like that you should you should be maintaining plank if you're not then um right that could be uh, uh something that you could nitpick yeah, exactly. So that, and that's like a common thing we often see, especially in yogis, I've noticed. I mean, I think this is every everyone who starts like the push-up movement pattern, but especially in the yoga world, a very common thing we'll see is like they'll start in plank, but as soon as they bend their elbows to start to lower toward chaturanga, they lose that like solid plank alignment, like something changes in their alignment. Uh, I believe most, e- either because they don't, they just don't know, like they don't have a good mm-hmm. proprioceptive sense of their body moving in space and they're not, they're not understanding how to keep it in plank or they lack the strength to keep the plank alignment because that's actually really hard or a combination mm-hmm. of both. Maybe they just don't know and they don't have the strength. 
Totally. Um, what What are some common uh, ways we see people? I want to say misalignment. I don't love that word, but whatever. Just like, what are some common misalignments we see when people do chaturanga in the yoga worlds that kind yeah. of reflect this? So it could be that, like you said, their lower back is arching. Or, so their hips stick up in the air, kind of like their tail sticks up. Yeah. Well, it, the, like either tail drops or tail pikes. Oh, yeah. The hips can e- Either sag. one, yeah, either. is kind of an indication that something is not quite there with the core Mm -hmm. uh and then a couple other ones would be like their chin pokes forward like chicken chicken. Um, that one is so common i know i've done that a lot and that that's usually more of an upper body weakness i think uh and it could Mm -hmm. also be uh an awareness or proprioception or control thing um but it's kind of like oh if i poke my chin forward that i'm getting closer to the floor like i'm i'm yeah, you're trying trying to fake the range of motion, right? right? Um, and then another one. I never one... made that connection that that's like why we do that. Well, it's like you think you get closer yeah. than you really do, or or that yeah. could be one reason why people do that. Yeah, people also do it when they're doing rows, and that well, it kind of um, makes you could so make the a row is when you're it doing could... like that's a shoulder pulling exercise. Just mm-hmm. to clarify for some listeners who might not know, mm-hmm. like pulling a weight toward you or pulling yourself toward like a trx yep. or something that's a that's a pulling exactly so that that chin poking thing is common with both of those uh, and then maybe another one would be like the shoulder kind of tipping forward mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so that usually happens so kind of like rolling forward yep so i guess that would happen as soon as you initiate the lower down where you're not able to maintain I don't know. It's not really protraction or retraction. Is it posterior tilt and anterior tilt? Yeah, that's really what it is. I feel like I've I've heard it at least or learned it called that. Yeah. Like like, uh, if you think of your shoulder blades on your back, anterior tilt is when the the tops kind of roll forward and like the bottom tips of your shoulder blades lift away from your back. And that's what we're talking about is the quote misalignment in Chaturanga. And then a posterior tilt would be that the tops of the shoulders kind of roll back and the bottom tips of the scapulas move forward toward the back of your heart. Would you say that sort of describes yep. that? Yep, exactly. And so <clears throat> that's probably another example of most likely weakness, but it could also be control. Yeah, control does not understand. Right, right. That makes are are there any other common Those were obviously that the we three see? that I had in my mind. Yeah, I'm um, sure actually there are four others. because you reminded me about. I was thinking the hips sticking up, but I forgot the hips also can sag down. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So and then and just to recap, when the hips kind of do that thing, it's often like an indication that someone's not recruiting their core, like their abdominals mm-hmm. enough. Maybe that's kind of like a, a a cue to us, like as teachers or something. We might re- like think that's why they're doing that, or that's core strength might help them. And then the head poking forward or the anterior tilting. Of the shoulder girdle, that would be more like they might need more upper body strength. Mm-hmm. But we didn't mention the elbows flaring out because we don't think that's an issue. <laughs> oh, right. We didn't mention that as a misalignment. Exactly. Even though many yogis and, and yoga teacher trainings would certainly te- say that elbows out is a misalignment and that it's bad. Um, I Actually, when people in the yoga world talk about chaturanga and the injuries that can happen from it, and, you know, they'll say, like, elbows out is more injurious, which we've just clarified that's not the case. It's not any more injurious than elbows in. But uh, 
I just like to list a few of the the few of the ideas around the ways that shoulders can be injured in chaturanga that I that I hear people say. These are claims. I don't necessarily believe them or think that they're necessarily true or likely, uh, but these are the things I commonly hear. So I'll hear that they'll say that if you ever well, if you do chaturanga in, in misalignment at all, you can tear your rotator cuff is one that I tend to hear. Uh, what, do, what do you think that the tearing the rotator cuff is a likely um, consequence of cha- say ch- chaturanga at all or chaturanga done in a misaligned manner? No. Do you th- <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before. I think that's I love crazy. your answer. <laughs> no. <laughs> You think that's great? I do too. I didn't. I, I have to be like totally transparent. I used to, I would hear these claims and I would totally say these claims. There's an old uh, workshop I used to have that I've now taken down off my website, but it was oh, called the, the Complete Guide to, my, to the Vinyasa of Yoga. And it, and in that I said, I think, yeah, I did say that. I said that like, if you do the Vinyasa wrong, you can tear, tear your rotator cuff. Can you say why you think that that's crazy? Uh, we're like... How is that going to happen? <laughs> just what what is the mechanism by which lowering yourself to the mm-hmm. ground just with your body weight through a small range of motion is going to Tear make your, your shoulder cuff. explode? Yeah. Yeah. And the rotator cuff, I think part of it might be people don't realize cuz I think this is this is my, what I was doing in the past, but we didn't realize that we didn't actually understand what the rotator cuff was and where it's located in the shoulder complex. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the the rotator cuff is like this group of four muscles that runs from the shoulder blade to the head of the humerus. And it's just, it doesn't really, it doesn't cross areas that are really loaded uh, with significant force as you lower down, you know? Maybe with the exception of the, well, no, I guess the, the biceps tendon isn't even... That's not the rotator Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Because, yeah. Yeah. I had mentioned to you that I feel like the rotator cuff claim, I can see that it doesn't make sense. And I wish people would stop saying that. But that I do see how the long head of the biceps. So the biceps are these, uh, it's a muscle on the front of your upper arm, kind of like opposite the triceps. And it has two heads, a short head and a long head. And the long head runs right, right along the front of the head of the humerus, which that's your upper arm bone. So that long head of the biceps, it attaches like uh, uh, on the top of the shoulder socket on the shoulder blade. So if you sort of picture, it's basically just on the front of the shoulder. So you could picture as you're lowering down, that is placing some load on that structure, right? Um, yeah, although the the mechanism that that gets injured more frequently is in overhead athletes. And mm. so what I mean by that is oh, yeah. Yeah, can you athletes explain? who are spending a lot of time with their arm in shoulder flexion or uh swimmers arm overhead so swimming people argue about whether swimming is a true overhead sport i I consider it one but Mm. uh volleyball players players, baseball pitchers (laughs) well it's you could it's like well how much i I don't know what the exact definition they're going by when they say that it's not an overhead sport maybe the fact that you're like circumducting the shoulder and you're not spending significant time like continuously in that overhead position or maybe because you're prone and so your arm's not like the the Mm -hmm. buoyancy of the water i don't know um in my opinion (laughs) swimming is an overhead sport just like any of those other ones baseball softball 
volleyball. I think softball. Anyway, uh, <laughs> right. the point is that when but, the shoulder is in that overhead position, that can irritate or like repeatedly with high forces, high velocity, that could potentially uh, be one reason why those athletes experience shoulder problems like biceps tendinopathy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that's that makes not, sense. But that's not, not the I mean, that's that overhead. That's not the yeah. position of, of a push-up. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I feel like... Uh, the general public, including myself in the past, like rotate the rotator cuff is maybe the one, uh, the one problem that ha- like a rotator cuff tear is the one problem that just general public tends to hear about when we think of the shoulder. And I think <laughs> that people often they're just like, okay, the rotator cuff, that's the thing that gets injured. They don't really necessarily know what it is or where it is or how it works. But and sometimes they don't even know rotator cuff that that's actually the term they like they'll call it rotary cup or something like i've heard these other you know just totally fine. yeah they just don't know and yeah. and that was me in the past as well too but i just think maybe people in the yoga world they just they know that the rotator cuff is at least talked about as injured in general so then when uh when they hear these warnings about chaturanga tearing your rotator cuff they're just like oh that makes sense like one plus one equals two Mm-hmm. And then they repeat it, or they believe it, and that's not great either. We don't want to believe these uh, unlikely claims about our body because we know that things like pain have psychosocial influences. So if we're taught that this is dangerous, that potentially could create some sort of feedback loop that may encourage us to actually feel pain, right. when we may not actually be doing damage. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I guess I'm open to being proven wrong if there is mm-hmm. evidence of yogis tearing their rotator cuffs from chaturanga Chaturanga. please feel free to send it our way Um, yeah and i I can appreciate that your shoulder could hurt if you're doing 50 Mm -hmm. vinyasas over the course of a especially ashtanga practice yeah and you're not prepared and you're potentially exhibiting some of those things that we did identify as being not the best ways of performing that movement Right. Um, That's a good point. It's not to say that people can't have shoulder pain. Right. Like, it's not to say that at all. Of course people can have shoulder pain. But if we're just talking about mechanisms of actual tissue damage, it doesn't seem very likely that tearing your rotator cuff would happen in Chaturanga. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. So so the rotator cuff tear, another just really common, this is just a very vague description that I don't even know what it means, but I think a lot of listeners will relate to having heard the claim that Chaturanga is a shoulder shredder. A shoulder shredder. Like the shredder in Ninja Turtles? (laughs) Who's the shredder? Uh, He was a bad guy in one of the the movies, but that that analogy (laughs) is lost on you. So. I know who the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are, but I haven't seen the movie. The Shredder. I bet some well, of our listeners bad, will know He was a bad guy, so... Right, so shredding like, the shoulders just like would be bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get it. Chaturanga's a bad guy. When yeah. you said, uh, just like, when you were making that comparison, I thought you were going to say, like, the Shredder in an office. Oh. You know, like, shredding papers through a Shredder. Like shredding or a shredding your machine. Cuff. Yeah, like, shredding. Like, that oh. was always in my... When people said shred it, I was... I was picturing like a shredded uh, cloth or something that was like in, mm-hmm. in tatters, in tatters. I hope you're not putting cloths through those office paper shredders. <laughs> I've never done that before. Now I kind of <laughs> want to try. But but when people say that, and seriously, a, kind of a vague... I can't count the number of times I've heard that in the yoga world, that chaturanga is a shoulder shredder. I don't think that's a very helpful thing to say. Again, for those psychosocial reasons, like if we plant that image in our mind... 
like that can be potentially on if we're imagining that the tissues in our shoulder are literally being shredded or, or mm-hmm. turned into tatters because we're doing some horizontal pushing. Um, I don't, I don't quite see how that could happen. Do you? No, I think that's crazy. I would never say that. <laughs> I love your, except in your jest. Blindness. I would never say. So that's good. So hopefully this helps get some message out there that just, you know, it, um, it's just, it's not necessarily helpful to make claims like this, especially unsubstantiated ones. But of course that doesn't deny the fact that people and anybody, anybody with a body can experience pain. So we can still have pain and we might feel the pain in Chaturanga, in which case we might modify or back off or, you know, temporarily do something different or do it a different way until that pain dies down. So none of that is to say people can't have pain in Chaturanga, but we just want to think about like what, what's likely. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think pushups are going to guarantee pain. I don't even know that pushups done with any of the potential issues that we talked about are going to guarantee pain. I think that the, your performance of them will be suboptimal. Uh, I think that mm-hmm. they'll, I mean, maybe the, the one where your shoulder is tipping forward. That anterior like, yeah, tilt. Yeah, that could put some stress through some of the tissues that you're not really wanting to stress. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I was... I, I'm not like, wouldn't make any bold guarantees right. of pain and injury. Because we do, we do know that. I mean, I know it varies, and but but our tissues do adapt to load. So if we're even if we're practicing like a suboptimal chaturanga, even if we're sticking our hips up or something, if we do that over time, to me it seems like our, we would we would adapt to those loads. And and um, one thing that I know you and I have talked about before is that when people are practicing chaturanga in these, again, quote, like suboptimal or wrong ways of just the ones we mentioned, like head poking forward, hip sticking up, uh, or the shoulder anterior tilt, that's often an indication that someone is, is lacking the strength to do the pose uh, the, way that, the way that it's supposed to be done, where you actually just core is on and upper body is strong and you just lower that plank straight down and straight back up. So... It seems like if we want people to do the pose quote right, like without those, maybe compensations is, is a word. I don't know if that's the best word either, but if we want them to do it in that true plank manner, they really need to build strength. Like that seems to be like maybe an underlying factor is like lack of strength. Yep. Throw, throw lack a bunch of strength of... and lack of awareness. Right, right, exactly. Both of those things. And it's hard, it's hard to strength. It's hard to teach that awareness, I feel like. Uh, and it's hard to truly progressively build the kind of strength that someone would want and need to do a really excellent chaturanga uh, within the context of like a group flow yoga class. Would Absolutely. You, would you agree? Yeah, I think that there are probably a lot of people who have done yoga for a long time and still, well, we hear it, right? Oh, uh, like I've been practicing yoga for a long time, but I still want to improve on my chaturanga. And it's like, mm-hmm. how, how has this not happened yet? But right, it's not your for fault years. because there is very little opportunity to systematically progress it. Exactly. And like if you're all... Maybe, maybe you're given the uh, choice to do knees, chest, chin. Yes. Uh, which is fine. I, I like that pose. <laughs> I personally like that pose. And mm-hmm. I've been trying to uh, convince Jenny that it's a good one. But... <laughs> talking about we i do think it's i didn't used to think it was a good pose but i do think it's a good pose now in Um, fact we have have a video were you gonna say that uh Uh, were you not gonna say that there's a youtube video called is knees chest chin a good prep for chaturanga 
I made that it's that video is just me but like I totally talked to you about it and got your input on it and we'll link that in the show notes because that's uh that actually ta- plays into a lot of what we're talking about today yeah and you also I was gonna say you have a class in your online library where Nice Chess Chin is part of oh, the vinyasa yes. it's I think I've probably mentioned <laughs> the class on this <laughs> podcast before but it's called you the have, whole body because back it's like what it's one of your favorite <laughs> It's called Whole yeah, Body I just Back like, Bend Flow. I like to take it all the time. I, I'm working really on memorizing funny. it. Um, what? But I'm not Memorize quite there yet. It? I'm not quite there yet. Oh, my God. I did I've transcribe it. it. I haven't told you that. Wait, what? So you I, transcribed I wrote it down. Class? Yeah, so I could do it if I didn't have the um what? The, the recording handy. or what? Yeah. You did? You wrote it's, down, like, the sequence? Yeah, not to get too off track. Yes. But it, it it's better when I'm listening to you. I don't, like... Mm-hmm. I just do like, it out of your head. It, it takes me like 45 minutes to do it from my written notes, but I think yours is like 36. Like 30 minutes. Yeah, you just yeah, yeah. like boom, 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 one thing to the next. But I like to linger. Uh, right. You, I, I kind of know that about you in your practice. I get I get that. But I'm honored <laughs> that you like that practice so much. Whole body back on flow. And what's what's relevant about that for this conversation <laughs> is that uh, that I did like, uh, so I, knees, chest, chin. Maybe we should just take a step, quick step back. Knees, chest, chin for listeners who don't know because they might not know. That's a, a pretty common pose in yoga where you basically start in a knees down plank pose. It's like a kneeling plank. And then you you take your chest and your chin to the floor, to touch the floor. So your knees, your chest, and your chin are touching the floor. And in order to do that, you have to arch your spine. And it's like spinal extension. It's a back bend. And then you're arching your neck as well, if you could kind of picture that. So that's knees, chest, chin. And then generally, people move into cobra pose, which I mentioned earlier. That's that belly down, back bend. Generally, people move into cobra after knees, chest, chin. And that's a very classic pose in the yoga world. And it's also very common in the yoga world that that yoga teachers will say knees, chest, chin is the um, the, what do we say? Like the, the alternative to chaturanga, the pre, if you're not strong enough to do chaturanga, you do knees, chest, chin. That's like super common in the yoga world. So it's like do knees, chest, chin, that'll make you strong in order to do chaturanga. But do you think that that's uh, very likely? (sighs) Well, it's, it's a good substitution in the moment, I think. And you can do -hmm. it under control and build some strength there. I think that if you, for a year, let's say you just started yoga and for a year you practice knees, chest, chin uh, as your the part of your vinyasa in place of chaturanga. chaturanga. I don't know that if you said, okay, today I've been practicing knees, chest, chin for a year. Now I'm going to do my chaturanga, um, like the full length with in the oh, plank. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know that just magically you're going to get there. I think they're still over. kind of far away. Yeah. Well, I think what we talked about before was that because knees, chest, chin is this innate backbend, you're in all the spinal extension. Therefore, you're not really strengthening your core that's, in the way yeah. that it needs to be strong for plank and chaturanga. Right. So, so you might be able to, especially if you did a ton of knees, chest, chin, um, you might be able to develop some upper body strength mm-hmm. or at least upper endurance. Body. But the the core component is you're missing out on it, or you're you're just you're doing something different, right? You're, right. You're in a back bend. Right. You're not engaging your anterior core. So uh, then, if you tried to take that into your chaturanga, you haven't practiced that. Exactly. So in that YouTube video that again, we'll link in the show notes, I talk about all of like those factors and 
that needs chest chin in my, it may, maybe it could belong, be, belong in like a multi-step progression toward chaturanga, <laughs> yeah. but it might be like the very beginning where it's just for some upper body strength. But then you'd want to move toward poses and shapes that look more similar to chaturanga because of yeah. specificity. So then like maybe a kneeling plank where you're not in that right. arched position. Um, yeah. So, oh, I know what I was going to say, which was just that we, but, but if we want to flip the script a little bit about knees, chest, chin, I think the reason that it, it tends, it's often fear mongered. I know I said it's very common pose in the yoga world and it is, but it's also commonly talked down about, about, or fear mongered about as, as injurious. Like it's taught. And I used to teach this cause it's what I was taught that being in all that extension just isn't good for the neck or the back. And it's just like, why would we do knees, chest, chin? So it doesn't that's make any I... sense, right? Cause we have back bends that we don't <laughs> fear monger about. <laughs> it's so true. We don't, but for some reason we fear monger about it. And I used to in knees, chest, chin. So it used to, I remember saying, and I can admit to this stuff cause I'm, I don't believe these things anymore, but I remember saying that like, uh, you te teachers who just kind of understand, um injury they don't teach knees chest chin like i, oh, I i'm embarrassed snap. that i said i know I'm, i apologize for just having said that a long time ago but anyway so i didn't use to teach it. up to it yeah thank you so in talking to you i was telling you about knees chest chin and like the bad rap it gets in the yoga world and by this time i don't share those beliefs that i used to anymore but i also still wasn't really teaching it on a regular basis it's just because it hasn't been in my rhythm and you were like why don't you create a class for your online class library that incorporates knees, chest, chin? And uh, it was like a big light bulb for me. And I was like, whoa. And so what we talked about was that knees, chest, chin actually could be a really advantageous poster practice if you were doing, if you were prepping for backbends. Precisely because it's a backbend, it's like a moving backbend. And so that's why that class that we were talking about, whole body backbend flow, it's about leading up to, or it's about backbends. And that's why I incorporated knees, chest, chin intentionally in there because I wanted a preface for backbends. So there you go. <laughs> so clever. Right. I know. Thanks to you. So, um, so back to what you mm -hmm. mentioned in passing, knees, chest, chin might be a fine level mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Level two, you would keep the knees down, but now you're going to plank from your knees to your shoulders. So it's a kneeling push-up mm -hmm. uh, or a kneeling chaturanga. But, and I think people maybe think that they're doing that, but they don't realize that they really have to get their hips through into full hip extension and like lock that in through ab engagement and glute engagement. And that is what's gonna transfer better to then going from the feet to mm -hmm. the full plank, to the full chaturanga. My impression is that in the fitness world, kneeling push-ups are yeah. often looked down upon. So we have it in yoga, but we have it in, in fitness too. Um, kneeling push-ups are often looked down on as, and I'll see like big red axes, like don't oh, yeah. do kneeling push-ups. Like they're supposed to be bad. Why, why are they supposed to be bad? <sighs> I don't know. Like to me, if you, if you get like, I, let's say I can do 50 full range, regular push-ups. Mm-hmm. If I were to do 50 kneeling push-ups, they would be not as hard as 50 full push-ups, but still pretty freaking hard. Yeah, that'd still be hard, yeah. And I think the problem is that because people tend to do the kneeling push-up incorrectly by putting pushing their hips way up into there, into, into a pike, that's why they get uh, talked down, like talk smack and mm. like, oh, don't do kneeling push-ups. But good kneeling, in my opinion, good kneeling push-ups are good. <laughs> so it's not that, not that kneeling push-ups are bad. It's just that bad kneeling push-ups are bad. 
Right. Okay. And yeah. I, I and and they're often practiced good poorly. And bad. I just did. Right. But like we said uh, earlier, we transcend good and bad. But yeah. Whoops. Yeah. Well, we mean it uh, kind of maybe in a different way. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that that's a perfectly viable option. Mm-hmm. If you, but recognizing that people do have a tendency to pike their hips and do them in not the most efficient way. Um, that we have other options at our disposal, especially in a fitness mm-hmm. context, in a yoga context, we might be a little bit more limited as far as our options go. But what would yeah. be some of the other examples? Maybe in a yoga class or maybe outside of yoga class. Yeah. Of so, progressions that you can do beyond knees, chest, chin, and knee right. pushups. Okay. So yeah. So there's uh, there's those two. But I I, be- I believe that ultimately probably the the best and uh, maybe maybe most specific in a bigger picture way toward getting stronger for chaturanga would be to do hands elevated chaturanga or push-ups. What is that called? Like elevated, elevated push-ups. Yep. So Inclined your hands push-ups. are inclined push-ups, right? Your hands are on a higher surface. So basically the truth is, and something that I meant to say way back in the beginning of this conversation is that to do ch- full chaturanga with your hands on the floor and your knees up. So like full chaturanga, it's actually really, really hard. That, that honestly takes a lot of strength and, uh, I've also noticed, and I, I think this is true, but males tend to naturally be stronger in their upper body. And they're actually, maybe it's not as hard for them, but for many females who are tend to be less strong in the upper body, just doing a, actually doing a real solid, skillful chaturanga, that's hard. Mm-hmm. And then, and then and in you, the yoga. Mm-hmm. You actually measured the amount of force required in the I chaturanga, did. right? In a yoga, uh, in an Instagram post. I did. Okay, so we can link that in the show notes too. Mm-hmm. But I used I think, a scale. Yeah, I think. Uh, go ahead. Oh, what was upon your suggestion was to use a, just a bathroom scale, and that you can do that to like measure force, right, in different movements. And so I used the scale, and I put my hands on the scale. I was in plank, and then I I, I measured like how much weight was in there in plank, and then as I lowered down to chaturanga and lifted back up, and it's a lot, right? I think it's like 70% of your body weight. I think so, so too. if you weigh 130 pounds, I don't know mm-hmm. why I'm going to try to do this math in my head, but uh, <laughs> What's let's that? Half is 65 it, and then add on 80 or something? Yeah, yeah let's call it 80 pounds. So that, that's not trivial, Maybe right? Maybe 85 or 90. Yeah. Maybe it's more. You, I'm, yeah, anyway. If, if you were to flip onto your back and bench press 80 pounds, yes. like, yeah, you can do that. Um, but you're also a... a of an experienced strength training, strength trainer, right? Um, not everybody can who mm-hmm. weighs 130 pounds. So then, mm-hmm. fl- flipping back onto into plank and attempting to do that, uh, not to say that it's impossible, far from it, but just like if you're a beginner, probably shouldn't necessarily expect to be able to to be able to do that. do the full expression of the pose. And I think because a lot of people. It- don't realize like we talked about just body awareness and control a lot of people are not doing chaturanga very well and they just don't even realize it because they just don't realize oh my my hips are up and they shouldn't be like they don't know they're just like well i i lower down and then i moved into my up dog so i did the pose but yeah. they don't necessarily it's, realize it's hard to know it. without a teacher yeah. having you know or filming uh, yourself good eyes on you but it. filming yourself or is a good way yeah yeah i remember from actually i remember i 
years and years ago that I, well, I, as we know and talked about in a previous episode, I used to do my sore style Ashtanga and I did, you know, those 50 vinyasas per practice. And then one day I was with a friend and we weren't in, ta- in um, Santa Barbara where my Ashtanga class was. So we did like our practice in like a fitness center somewhere and it had mirrors. And I just remember that was the first time I saw, now I'm so used to it because I film myself a lot. I, I'm able to see and kind of catch when maybe I do things, but that was the first time I saw myself moving in yoga poses in the mirror and I saw my hips stick up when I lowered down and I was Damn. like, that, is that wrong? Why, why am I doing that? I didn't know at all. And I'd been doing it for years, but then That's I wild. saw it in the mirror and then I was like, what's up with that? Like I thought, I, I thought I was in a straight line. So anyway, just to point, just to reiterate that, yeah, I think a lot, I think so many people do chaturangas and they don't maybe realize they could optimize or they could do them better. And when we say better, it's just meaning better, maybe more because we are, if you do, if you truly embody that plank and lower it down, you're, you're um, applying the loads where we really want them to go in the pose yeah. in yeah, order to gonna, build the strength. You're going to build more strength. You're going to direct the forces to the muscles that you want them that to. You want not, to. Not to say that you're, oh, because your hips are up, you're going to injure your back. Mm-hmm. Like, That's another <laughs> thing you'll hear in the yeah, world. Yeah, pro- probably not going to injure your back just because of that. Yeah. But, but it does mean that you're probably not creating the upper body strength we truly want to be creating. So to, to go back to what we talked about with the elevated push-ups and hands on a higher surface being a really good way to start. And I know that in many fitness settings, and probably you, Travis, if you had a personal training client who was new to push-ups, you, I would imagine you might start them in elevated push-ups, right? 100%. Probably not hands on the floor. So that yep. can be as high as like hands on the wall. Mm-hmm. And although that might sound pretty high, like if you've never tried that before, I would suggest just go do do plank at the wall, like an arm straight, and then do 10 full range, full range push-ups at the wall. And you'll probably really feel that in your upper body. But anyway, you can start that high and then progressively as you gain strength, you lower the surface of the hand. So kitchen counter kitchen. is a really perfect place. Perfect. I think that's what you were going to say. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. And then... A, a table, a chair, a bench. If you're like at the gym, mm-hmm. so that that really seems like, and that's what I certainly did because I, I learned that that's like that's the proper, the most. I, w- I want to say proper. It's not really proper, but that's a very efficient way to truly build strength for a chaturanga. Is you lift it up and do your chaturanga there, and then you slowly lower it down. Yeah, and if you are in a yoga class and you have a whole giant stack of blocks, you can create mm-hmm. an incline. That's true. The, the one kind of funny part, though, is that when you if you have if you stack blocks under each hand and then you lower down, you can actually mm. lower, lower deeper down. than you would if your hands were on the floor, like chest relative to hands, which is actually we would call that like a deficit mm-hmm. push up. That's, that's a progression, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you just have to be mindful. You just have to not that. go that low. Yeah. That's but blocks help. Uh, but again, in like a busy yoga class, it's yeah, not where are you going to find six or eight blocks mm-hmm. to do that? But many yoga studios have chairs, yoga chairs, like these folding metal chairs, especially like in Iyengar type studios. So you could bring chairs in, and then people could put their hands up on the chairs. Yeah, and another viable approach, uh, I think, equally viable or just different from the incline push up, is to do a reduced range of motion. Oh, yeah. So in that mm-hmm. case, you might be able to find, let's say, three yoga blocks that you're going to stack yeah. and put them underneath your chest. Mm-hmm. And that's going to block you from going to the full range, like whatever you're defining as full range, whether it's 
humerus parallel to the floor or deeper. Um, but then you can progress your range of motion. So just work through the range of motion that you are able to control with a nice long plank and then gradually take remove a block or, or change an mm -hmm. orientation of a block to get lower and lower. And what that's nice is that you're actually working the plank just <laughs> oh, as you, right. you normally would. Um, right, like hands are on the floor. Yeah, your relationship yeah. to gravity is the same. You're just moving through a smaller range of motion. So right, you can you so could do you... those approaches in tandem. So yeah. one day you're doing incline push-ups. You're all th you could do kneeling push-ups, you could do incline push-ups, and you could do reduced range of motion push-ups. Mm-hmm. And those are all simultaneously, great. and they're all going to get you stronger in they're different ways. They're going to help you build strength. Yeah, and, through your uh, upper body and through your core. Exactly, and those are things that could be done in a yoga context, although not necessarily. Like it's not necessarily realistic in every like busy full yoga studio classes. They don't always have all those props. Uh, but it's conceivable that that could be done in a yoga context. However, another way that yogis could build strength to get them stronger for ho in horizontal pushing and to help their chaturanga might be to do some strengthening off the yoga mat, right, Travis? Yeah, I I'm an advocate. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, if if it doesn't logistically, if it's mm -hmm, not going to yeah. work to introduce those progressions within the context of your mat practice then taking that idea off the mat and doing some strength training either with those progressions that we mentioned or there are lots of other strength training exercises that can work similar muscle groups or the same muscle groups like mm -hmm. a chest press or a bench press um mm -hmm. or even a like a if you're at a gym a machine chest press um right. And then even uh, exercises where you're isolating those muscles. So, so the chest press would be what we call a compound or multi-joint movement, mm -hmm. which is the same as a push-up. An isolation or single joint movement would be something nice. like uh, a shoulder raise, like a front raise where you raise a dumbbell or a kettlebell right. or uh, up in front band. of your body or a resistance band. Yeah. And then you could do lateral raises out to the side for your shoulders. You could do tricep extensions mm -hmm. or tricep kickbacks to work on the triceps. Um, you could do pectoral flies yeah. or chest flies, which are working the shoulders in a similar motion to a Y or like an elbows out pushup. Mm -hmm. So lots and lots of options that are maybe the best part about those is that they're really scalable when you're using external right. resistance because you can just pick the weight that you can do right now. <laughs> you don't have to change your orientation of your body to gravity or like do any of those sorts of things. You would just pick, okay, I can use five pound dumbbells for this exercise. I can use eights, tens, twelves, whatever. That totally makes sense. So, so you can kind of tailor them more to your current strength level and it might be more effective that way, like in the long term. Yeah, it's it's really easy to track your progress over time and try to beat whatever you did the last time to show to show yourself, at, well, to make gains and to make them systematically. Right. And I think, I think all those exercises that you just mentioned, we include in our strength for yoga program, right? That I know the chest, the chest fly, we made a substitute. For oh, yes. Strength for, do you remember? It's the, yes. the pec slide on a blanket, which is so, I love that exercise. We made yes. that one up. We, we, are in, we innovated. 
yeah, we, it's, a, it's a strength for yoga original. But yeah, so we include uh, not necessarily all those exercises at one time, but we will pick a couple or however many to sprinkle into our overarching uh, strength for yoga programs with these themes that change every month. And the whole idea is to empower yogis to build strength in their bodies to then support their yoga practice. Because as we have mentioned, it's really hard to progressively build strength in an effective and long-term manner within the context of a body weight yoga practice on the yoga mat. So we like to kind of set up this, this great and empowering separate modality that people can take on and do to um, supplement and help enrich not only their yoga practice, but of course, just all the other benefits strength training has for your body, for your health and wellness, and for your life. And um, what's our upcoming monthly theme, Travis, for Strength for Yoga that's coming up soon? I believe it's push-ups. Isn't it? So every month we have a different theme and it rotates month to month. And it'll be like either an asana, a yoga pose theme, or a strength theme. And this next month we have push-up is the theme, which, which that's basically chaturanga. Or at least we'll have tons of carryover to chaturanga. Um, so that's coming up, right? Yes, very excited. I know, I'm really excited too. I think it's great programming. So any listeners who are maybe kind of resonating with like what we've been talking about, about Chaturanga and maybe reflecting and realizing, I've been doing a bunch of Chaturangas, but maybe I haven't been getting the most out of the actual strengthening I could be doing, or maybe I could strengthen otherwise, and then suddenly Chaturanga on the mat would be no big deal, which has been what I've experienced and I love. Yeah, um, so that's that's the idea of like, if you build strength, then some of the stronger poses can become more easeful on the mat mm-hmm. and you're better able to stay in the flow of what you were doing or, or not have to over effort on poses that aren't really intended to be like mm-hmm. super strong, but they, they happen to be like Chaturanga. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Chaturanga is a great example of that. Can can we rapid fire three more <laughs> alignment things that we I think would be worthwhile to cover? Yeah, I know we want to, and I do. Yeah, I know we want to sign off. But okay, let's make it really rapid. Okay, so we meant to cover just, some of these extra alignment the, so arguments, right? One of them is just the idea that you should stop at ninety versus going all mm-hmm. the way down, and we danced around that. But I think right, that but we haven't talked about it. Yeah, I think that some people would say, oh, not like 90 degrees is where you're supposed to stop. Meaning 90 degrees at the elbow or just yeah. like halfway down lower, right? Like not yeah. going all the way down. And they might say that it's injurious to go they deeper. Do and say it's that. just they for sure say that. Just not as long as you have the strength to control that deeper range of motion. Right, exactly. So yeah, we're just rapid firing, so I guess we won't talk a lot about it. But yeah, like that whole, the 90 degree, that's an aesthetic ideal that's just being like applied to the body. But biomechanically, there's nothing special about the 90 degree angle. Yeah. And someone well, can I guess, do a... I guess we could have a whole podcast on that. I know, maybe we should. <laughs> there are people whole... out there. Anyway, yeah. next up. So, so num- yeah. Number what two else? of three is shifting forward onto mm-hmm, the toes. So mm-hmm. that, they say... As you're like from your plank, shift forward onto, onto your toes, toes and to then get lower your, down. Yeah, what do you to think? Get, of? It's probably. Um, I think that's. It's not necessary. It's taught often in the yoga world that in order to lower to chaturanga first, you shift forward. Um, but actually, doing so makes the pose harder for the upper yeah, body. I think that's crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't think it's injurious, but it's like if you really want. No, no, meet, it's fine. 
Right. But it's hard. <laughs> I love how many you times do that? you've said you think something's crazy in this conversation. <laughs> um, why would you do that? I don't even know. Because, oh, you know why? I think it's because of the 90 degree angle thing. If you shift forward, you're more likely it, to get the 90 degree at the elbow. And the wrist. Straight down. Yeah, and the wrist. Exactly. Both of That's those. It. So it's yeah. aesthetic. We, so it we want to nice. talk more about this, but we don't have time. But shifting forward, it's not necessary. And it might be better for a lot of people's strength levels to not shift forward, right? Yeah. There's a YouTube video that I made exactly on this that, again, I made in consultation with you. So we'll link that in the show notes. I think it's called Should We Shift Forward Onto the Toes in Chaturanga? Mm-hmm. So we'll put that in the show notes. Was there a yeah. third one? And Yeah, last but not least, protraction and retraction of the shoulder blades. Yeah. So what's what do they say? <laughs> oh what my are, gosh, I've heard it the... both ways. Okay. I've heard it taught that in Chaturanga we should we should retract, but really actively, like really squeeze the shoulder blades. Then I've heard in Chaturanga we should protract the whole time and you'll start and wow. plank and you'll protract, like puff the... That well, protract means to broaden the shoulder blades. And then you don't let them retract as you lower down. Um, I know, right? Isn't that confusing? So I, I hear strong opinions about both. What do you think about shoulder I blades? I think that you should let the shoulder blades do what they naturally do, which is to retract on the way down. And you, you don't have to think about it. It'll just happen right. in most cases. Um, and maybe if it's not, then you can think about it. <laughs> I've, I've never <laughs> seen a situation where they don't retract. Um, and then if you're doing yeah. the push-up in the concentric situation, then you would protract. But it usually happens Naturally. in conjunction with the movement of the upper arm. Right, like as the shoulder uh, moves into flexion, it seems like the shoulder blades naturally broaden and protract. And as the shoulder yeah. moves into extension. If you're really out. interested in working the protractors, like the serratus anterior, you can do what's called a push-up plus, where you mm-hmm. go to the top of the push-up and then further protract. Mm-hmm. But that's a, like a supplemental thing on top right, of the regular right. push-up. But good point. So just let them do what they do, which is they're going to they're retract and pro- They move through a full range of motion on the way down and on the way up. And we don't need to freeze them or override what the, the nervous system would naturally do with them. Um, we don't need to micromanage it, maybe. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> cool. That's not crazy. <laughs> I'm glad you think that's not crazy. Yeah, I like that. We want our shoulder blades to move. I know, and there's so much of that. Um, So I think that was, uh, thank you so much for thinking of the idea of rapid firing, because I was like, oh, we're not getting to these, and I wanted to, but I knew that was going to make this podcast like two hours. So so we can probably, what do you think? Can we wrap up our Chaturanga conversation? Okay, cool. Um, Thank you so much for sharing all of your awesome knowledge and insight on the topic of Chaturanga. Right back at you. And that wraps up our look at Chaturanga. Remember to use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in Travis's and my Strength for Yoga program. And the link to that is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Yoga Meets Movement Science today. And if you enjoyed this discussion, we would so appreciate your support if you had time to subscribe to this podcast and to leave us a rating or a review. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode soon.